a customer love program. And basically, you have to make it clear that it is a priority um, at the company, that this is something that we want to do and be known for. You need to allocate budget against it. And you need to basically set your team up for success to make it easy for them to identify when these moments happen. Because a lot of times they're a little opportunistic. And then make it easy for them to action on it. And Turn it up. You're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready, because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go! No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe. The one request we tell our guests... Stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fam. Prepare to turn the f*** up. We are back with another episode. Today, I'm joined with a customer success expert. She is the chief customer officer at Refine Labs, and you might know her because she's a LinkedIn superstar as well. She previously worked for Platters, Grubhub, and ZocDoc. I'm pleased to welcome Megan Bowen to the podcast. Welcome, Megan. Thanks so much for having me, Daniel. Really excited to be here. I'm super excited for this conversation. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while because I've seen all your great content about customer success. And I'm also excited to have someone with that side of the business to come talk to about the relationship between marketing and customer success. Yeah, absolutely. I've uh, been in customer success account management in some form or fashion for over 15 years of my career. So whether as an individual contributor, building or leading those teams, um, and have also had the opportunity to lead both sales and marketing. So I have a deep appreciation for that function and how they should influence and work with the rest of the company in order to, to get good business results to deliver on your promise to customers. So this is a great topic to get into today. Cool. I want to dive into a little bit of your background first, and then we can dive into the topic about customer success and marketing. Sounds great. Just to sort of speak a bit more about my background, I actually started my career as an account manager at an ed tech startup in New York City, and I did that for seven years. And so that being an individual contributor in the same type of role for the same company really allowed me to develop a really deep expertise of everything involved with that function. So everything from customer onboarding and implementation to retention to upsell, renewal, product adoption, customer support issues, and, you know, being in a startup, working really closely with sales and marketing to help influence, you know, the entire go-to-market strategy. And so that was really the foundation of my career. And from there, I went to ZocDoc and actually took a bit of a step back to take a couple steps forward there. Uh, The only job I was able to get at ZocDoc was as a customer support agent. So after sort of becoming a senior account manager, I went back to being on the front lines on the phone and answering emails for ZocDoc for about nine months until I put together a business case to actually create a formal post-sale function that didn't exist at the time. And after a little bit of internal campaigning, ZocDoc gave me the opportunity and I actually built out post-sales at that company. There was sort of a sales team and a customer support team, but really nothing else and was a was part of building the onboarding process for doctors and the ongoing customer success function to improve retention. So that was my first opportunity to build out a team, learned so much in such 
short period of time. And that's when Grubhub Seamless approached me looking for someone to build out their account management function for their B2B division. So I did the same thing there and how a lot of success was there for the IPO, which was super exciting to be a part of and how company really transforms as a result of that. After Grubhub, I then went back to a small startup called Managed by Q. They recruited me to build their account management function. So I did that. And then that's really where my scope increased. Over a two and a half year period, I went from being the director of account management to the chief operating officer. So that's where I took on sales and marketing and operations. And that's when I really gained an appreciation for how important all of those functions working together really is. We exited Managed by Q to WeWork through an acquisition, which was really cool experience to be a part of despite the WeWork drama. Had a short stint at Platters, um, sort of back in the food tech space like Grubhub. And then the coronavirus happened and no one was ordering food to the office. So decided to move on after a short time there. And most recently joined forces with Chris Walker at Refine Labs to help kind of bring my customer success background to our marketing agency. Going back to what you said earlier about like, how did you, when you came to see that customer success should work with other departments, what are like the key things to building those relationships? Absolutely. So I think really there are connections to all departments, but I think um, I would focus in on the relationship with marketing and customer success, sales and customer success, and then also any like operational or customer support team that could be interacting with them. And lastly, and this maybe is a little similar to the relationship with marketing, um, having a really strong relationship with product, that the product team is also really close to, to the customer. And so I've always believed like my role in most of these companies that I've been at has really been the voice of the customer. I'm very committed to um, meeting with customers on a regular basis, regardless of what position that I have. I feel strongly that staying connected to the customer is one of the keys to success in any business. And so when you think about marketing and customer success, there's such a huge opportunity for marketing to sit with customer success, go with them on customer calls and meetings to use them as a vehicle to get close to the customer that can help inform everything that marketing does. I also think it's really important for marketing to truly understand the customer experience so they're not over-promising you know, for us to underdeliver. So I think so much of it, so much of the sort of customer interaction, customer feedback, customer experience, I feel like all of those things are critical for great marketers to know to do their job effectively. Then you have sales. You know, there needs to be a really strong relationship between sales and customer success. Like sales is typically closing the new customers and then there's a handoff process that rolls into onboarding. And so that needs to be handled very intentionally. Sales needs to be selling to the right customer. Customer success can be an input if we have identified we're selling to poor fit customers and we need to make an adjustment to our you know, ideal customer profile. I think on, you know, when you think of product, like having um, really tight feedback loops with the product teams so that you you know, the product team is aware of the customer's experience and their feedback, and they can take that into account. Um, so I feel like any department, you can, you can identify a reason why it's important that, you know, there is that strong collaboration with, with the team. And those are a few examples of how I think about it. One thing I think about a customer success is like having them as like, they're, they're the ones who talk to the customer the most. And the biggest channel I feel like in marketing that is very underrated is, um, word of mouth and it always has been word of mouth 
and having that relationship with customers is how you you keep that cycle going. So what is your experience with being like setting up a, a good like feedback loop slash referral program with marketing? Like how do you work with them to make sure that like basically operationally it's good? Basically we we're when someone would is targeted as a good referral, like how do we how do you work with marketing for that part of it? Yeah, it's a good question. And so I've seen a few different implementations of a referral program. I think the one that I see most commonly is some type of an incentive um, where at some point in the customer life cycle, you know, if we've deemed that they are happy to a certain extent and have been a customer for a certain amount of time, they get some type of email or invitation to refer the company to their network or their friends, potentially having an incentive included to, to do that. And I find that when you try to like sort of scale or automate a referral program through like a simple deployment like that, you don't always see a ton of return. I'm a big believer that the word of mouth referral takes a lot more investment than people realize to create. And I think that actually product also plays a really important role because at the end of the day, the product or service needs to be awesome. And the customer success manager can fill certain product gaps. But at the end of the day, if if the actual product or service experience isn't to a certain level, no matter how good your CSM is, you're not going to probably get the volume of referrals you're hoping for. Where I've had the most success is finding ways to partner with marketing to bring customers and prospective customers into the same room together. So one strategy that we deployed at Managed by Q, which was really effective, is we held a lot of small events that were really geared to be educational and workshop focused for our customers. At the time, we were targeting office managers. So for example, we would host a workshop on how to plan office parties. We'd have a mixologist, we'd have, you know, like a photo booth vendor, we'd have um, how to think about like planning for it. And it was this really fun and interactive workshop series where we had both customers and prospects mingling together learning new things, getting value, having natural conversations. And from those events, we always had a ton of success in those organic interactions, resulting in prospective customers coming to us and saying, let's have a meeting. I was speaking with, you know, Sarah, the office manager, and she was raving about working with you guys, right? Like, let's have a conversation. So I think being creative in that way through events, through community is a really interesting collaboration opportunity with marketing and customer success to generate real authentic word of mouth referrals. So I, I prefer to, to sort of go in that in that direction, which might be a little bit more investment, but I think the return is, is much greater and uh, much more meaningful. Yeah, I agree. I mean, those intimate events are really good way to, like you said, like, I think like some things you can scale and relationships is one thing you cannot scale. Uh, One thing I wanted to dive into that is pretty interesting that that I want to go into is like, I'm a big believer that like a customer can like help decide your product roadmap instead of like the product team assuming this is the future that people want. I also think like marketing gets a lot of insights in this too, because being in the marketing department, I get a lot of like, okay, 
they are disqualified because we don't have like an integration with this software or like they're disqualified because they aren't doing this process internally. So how could like customer success and marketing work with like the product team help define what features they should build next versus them assuming what features that should be built next? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in agreement with you that um, it's super important that product does not build a roadmap in a conference room, right? They should build a roadmap sitting side by side with both, you know, internal teams that interact with customers and also customers directly. That said, I think I also believe that product teams shouldn't take customer feedback at face value. One of the things that I talk about with my customer success teams, especially when they're, you know, proactively asking a customer for feedback, whether it's on the product, the service experience, or anything else, it's less about asking them what types of features they might want in a product. And it's really asking, are we solving all of your pain points? Um, Is the outcome that you are expecting to achieve by working with us happening or not? Like actually focusing the conversation not on a particular feature that could be missing, but back to the the root cause of why they decided to work with you to begin with. And that's where you really get a lot of the insights. I think what's really common, I feel like, is customer success teams will go to product and say, hey, 10 customers asked for this feature, build this feature. And usually product will be like, don't tell me what feature to build. <laughs> like, And they don't listen. And so what I've learned is when you are communicating with a product team, and especially if you're a liaison between a customer and a product team, you need to frame everything within the context of the problem that you're solving and highlighting which pain points still exist. And then let the product team do their job. There are many ways to solve most problems. And so really, it's, it's actually about problem identification, pain point identification, where are their friction points in the current product and service experience, those are the things that you want to surface and get to the product team. So it requires asking the right questions to a customer, or if they say, ah, customer says, I really wish you would build feature Y, dig deeper. What is it about feature Y that you're asking for this? What problem is that solving for you? And I think that's a really important skill set for a customer success manager or leader to have in order to kind of connect the dots between the customer and the the product team. What are like some questions, even like I know that you can ask that aren't, that go deeper, that are not like these vague questions that a lot of people ask, like how you're enjoying our product. Like, would you refer us to a friend? Like, okay, like at that point in time, I might, but like two days later, I might hate you because I had a bad experience in your product. Because like, there's a point in the threshold, I think, like a product solving my issues so much that like, even if I get a little mad, I can get okay. But like, there's also those issues where like, if you make me mad and your product is not fully solving my pain point, I'm out of here. So like, what are like those questions that like early indicators that you can ask to get that out of that customer? Definitely. One question that I really like to ask is how disappointed would you be if I told you you could no longer use the product anymore? So asking sort of a 
satisfaction like question within the context of that is really interesting because then you'll get interesting insights. Usually answers to that question are along the lines of, oh man, I would be so disappointed because I rely on your product for X or "Mm, I would be okay. Like you guys helped me with this, but if that went away, I have another alternative solution for that, right? Like that's a really illuminating question of how impactful your product actually is. I think the other point when I have feedback conversations with customers, I try to I try to really personalize it. And so if you have a customer, you should know why they bought your product. You should know what they're hoping to get from it. And so you can get pretty specific of, you know, I know when you decided to work with us, you were hoping to, you know, increase marketing sourced qualified pipeline you know, let's look at the numbers. We see there's been a 20% increase. Is that in line with your expectations? Are you happy with that progress or were you expecting more? Asking a really specific question that ties back to the reason that they purchased from the beginning, you know, what you believed the outcome was that you were trying to drive for them engaging their perspective on how well things are performing. That is a really important place to start in, in my opinion. I think another layer that I think people forget about is everyone's world is constantly changing. And so just because someone made a purchasing decision six months ago, three months ago, a year ago, their context is probably completely different than what it was when they made that purchasing decision. And so also really trying to dig in and ask questions of what's going on in your world today? Have new challenges or new problems surfaced? Is our product helping, our service helping with that or not? Do you have more priorities or problems that are now more important than the original ones we were trying to solve? So I think kind of personalizing the feedback questions through those two lenses really opens up the conversation to get you the information that I think is, that will actually be impactful and meaningful to product roadmap or marketing strategy, whatever it is. How could like a customer success team go above and beyond like what is expected because i think like the surprise and delight thing like is like a reason why a lot of people are stay at companies i heard a story from a previous guest how like warby parker like sent him like a gift that they send to like first employees because that person he sent so many referrals in that like he's like oh we think of you as part of the company and i think like those type of stories are like so huge and i even when I worked at Snack Nation, we were really good at this. Like we would send like like these little customized boxes all the time. But I think a lot of customer success team forget about those like those moments that you do. So what are like some ways you've you like recommend like customer success teams to go above and beyond? Yeah, definitely. I have a process effectively or a framework that I will implement to effectively support a surprise and delight program. I I will call it customer love. And basically you have to make it clear that it is a priority um, at the company, that this is something that we want to do and be known for. You need to allocate budget against it and you need to basically set your team up for success to make it easy for them to identify when these moments happen. Because a lot of times they're a little opportunistic and then make it easy for them to action on it. And so what I've done in the past is depending on the the company and the stage and size, typically have a budget between $1,000 to $5,000 per month for customer love. There's typically some type of 
form submission that all CSMs have access to, where they can very quickly and easily say, hey, send this customer this type of gift to this location at this time. That then goes to typically a like customer support team that then is able to actually just purchase and process those gifts and send them out. And then when we think about how can we be thinking about scaling out, getting to know our customers in a way where we can actually surprise and delight in a really meaningful and personal way. So it's like adding fields to your CRM about personal information of your of your client, right? What's their birthday? Or like you found out they just got a new puppy or their company just got acquired or you found out that, you know, they love roses and roses always cheer them up. Like all of those little pieces of information that you find out, actually creating fields in your CRM for your CSMs to record that information so that there's a record of that. And when that moment happens, we know what their preferences are or what will cheer them up. And we can use that to inform a gift selection. So it seems really simple and it is like it is, it's a simple process, but most companies, they say that they want to do something like this, but really it happens like ad hoc or one-off when someone gets an idea to do something for one particular person. So there are ways to actually scale this and show your team it's a priority, put budget behind it and, and make it really easy for the team to get those gifts out by, by putting some type of process that I described in place. One interesting question I have too, because like I, as a marketing ops person, work with CS a lot because I ran the marketing automation software. So CS used it a lot. What things do you believe should be automated and what things do you believe that should be like not automated activities? Because I think there comes a point where companies over automate their processes that feel inauthentic. And then there's, there's some things that are like we implemented a milestone program, which was pretty cool. Like when they reached like a certain like threshold in their account, like, oh, you just, for example, like if it was Grubhub, like, oh, you just re- reached a thousand orders on Grubhub, congrats. Like, like that was like a cool moment they had. So, but mm-hmm. what is your like balance of like when things should be automated versus not? Yeah. So I, I personally believe the first like 90 days that a customer is interacting with your company sets the tone for the entire relationship. So that includes, you know, I think the tail end of the marketing funnel, the sales process, and then onboarding um, with customer success. So I think that that 90 day period, each of those teams will influence the customer's perception of the company and the experience. And so I think you need to be really careful about automating anything within that window, because I think that's the most crucial window to make the right impression, to set the right expectations, to ensure that it's a proper fit customer, and to really invest in a thorough, intentional, thoughtful onboarding process so they're truly set up for success. That would be sort of that window of time, which is so critical in my view for long-term retention, where I would really minimize or avoid any like automation attempts. Can you have some onboarding emails that get sent to your customers every time? Sure. So it's not that you should not have any anything in place. Like there are things that sh- that make sense and that you can implement, but I think it should be should be minimal. Post that. Love your idea on milestones. I also like to whenever we think about automation with customers, I always like to bring it back to the the product. Is there something that can be added to the product experience that 
addresses this. So there's a, not a separate or distinct process or automation or email flow that's happening outside of the product experience. I find whenever you can bring any of those milestones, sort of those scalable automation moments into the product itself, that's when it actually has the impact that you want. The last thing that I'll say is like, it also really depends on like how much your product costs. If your product is like super cheap, you're probably not going to be in a position to have as much human attention on each of your customers, right? The type of business you have does matter. And when you get into, you know, really low ACV products or, you know, companies that are kind of more on the product-led growth versus sales-led growth, I think you do rely a lot more on automation and the product and the technology to acquire and serve those customers. So I'll kind of add that caveat there too. (laughs) One question that I think is pretty interesting that I think a lot of people will get a lot of benefit is, is like, how can marketing and just like pipeline in general partner with customer success to help them forecast like customer success seeds? Because like what I've seen a lot of issues in companies that marketing and sales like knock it out of the park and then CS and all these like onboarding don't have enough seeds to even handle that. And then it creates a bad experience like when they first customers. So like, how could they work together to appropriately forecast the number of customer success reps to that can handle that amount, amount of pipeline and also like not disrupt like the buyer experience as well? Because I think like that's an awesome issue. Like sometimes you have to push the pedal to the metal, but also at the expense of ruining a bad experience is sometimes not even worth it. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think the root cause of this issue is the fact that most companies do not prioritize investment in customer success. It is an afterthought. And most resources will go to sales or marketing, which is pretty typical. And they, well, let's focus on getting the customers and then we'll deal with what happens after later, right? And I actually think that the, the thinking should be completely flipped there. I actually believe in an early, early company, your first few hires should actually be customer success managers, not salespeople. I think like if you're a young company and you want to do things the right way and you're going to play the long game, begin to invest heavily in, you know, demand gen and brand marketing initiatives to build your brand organically and to begin to create sort of organic inbound where your buyers are coming to you when they're ready. And then over-invest in customer success so that when they do come to you, they have an amazing experience. And the reality is, is the sales process for a buyer that comes inbound and says, I'm interested in your product. Tell me more. I might be ready to buy it. That sales process is way different than an outbound sales process of, hey, I work at this company you've never heard of. Can I have 30 minutes to convince you to buy it? or buy this product. And so not every CSM is a great salesperson, but I think, I think if you think about it through that lens of let me build demand that comes to us and then let me build an amazing customer success team. And for a short period of time, customer success can even convert some of those acquisitions. And then you build your sales team. Like, I think that's the order it should be in, but it typically is usually sales, then marketing, then customer success. I feel like. Yeah. My, my, my theory on that is we've got so into this like motion that there's like a funnel, right? And I, I don't believe there is a funnel because I think 
help it is a, a flywheel. But I think like if you're thinking of it as a funnel, you should build the foundation before you put anything in in the funnel and you should go upwards in that foundation like before you can open up the floodgates you need to have a good sales process and a good like process there before you can have a sales you need to have like a good process to retain those customers and it should go from retention then sales and then like this marketing marketing funnel to bring more people in so until you get a bunch of people in that funnel like until you get the foundation set what you said, like word of mouth is, should, is the way you should be doing it and also organic ways to get people in because you need to build the foundations that when people are coming in at scale, like you know that as well, sales oil machine could handle it. And then you know that, that we can retain them as like a customer. Then honestly, like as a marketer, marketers don't get this. And I hate that a lot of marketers think in terms of leads. And I know Chris Walker talks about this all the time, but it's like, the biggest like metric that I've been and the most successful companies I've been in is like is churn. If you go to a good mark like any company, they're gonna say like like what is churn? Like they're not gonna say like how much re- that revenue is like a secondary thing. Obviously, revenue is like how the business goes, but they their gold star is like could we have the lowest amount of churn? And the company I am right now is like how could we get the lowest amount of churn? Like and as a marketer, you have to think like, you can't only think of like, I spent this much to get this many customers because you also got to say, I spent this much and how long did that customer stay with me? And that's the problem is like, it, and a lot of people don't realize how much how much you could just save with giving customer success money because bringing a new person in costs way more than just giving customer success a couple, like thousand bucks to like help retain those customers. That's just a long-winded thing I wanted to bring up. But like a lot of people think of it as like the opposite, like this flood the gates. Like if your product and your customer success is not there, then you're going to have a hard time like building your company up. Yep. If you prioritize it early on and continue to remain committed to that, like that is how I believe you build a, you know, a healthy, sustainable growing business. And then you can throw gas on the fire on on marketing and on sales, but it is the foundation. And I think, I feel like this year I've I've heard like retention is the new growth. I'm like, kind of, hasn't that always kind of been true? (laughs) (laughs) Like, is that a new thing? I think it's, yeah, it's, it's so surprising to me that people still often, uh, companies will often just continue to pay more attention to net new customers than, than the, the current ones. So I do think that, you know, over, over the next several years, we will, we'll start to see a continued shift. I think there's been a slow m- build and momentum of respecting the customer success function more and more over time. I think we have a little bit more of a ways to go, but I, I think it's moving in the right direction. Well, they also say like, and I don't know the the fact, the exact like fact or like stat for this, but isn't there like a stat that says like, if a customer has a problem and you solve it with like, even like a refund or something like they're more likely to come back to you, even though they had a big problem. I've had trouble with Amazon. They just gave me a refund on my airline. They gave me a nightmare. I still, I'm like, that company is cool. I want to go back there, even though I had a big problem. Like, but- Oh yeah. I personally have experienced this so many, so many times. If you 
have a bad customer situation, but you handle it quickly and effectively, you take responsibility, you solve the problem, you add an additional gesture to make it right, you absolutely can turn around an unhappy customer into into a promoter, into someone who would refer you new business. Um, Because, yeah, and the loyalty that that type of experience breeds because they know, hey, you know, if I have a problem, they're going to do right by me and they'll solve it. So I've personally experienced that. I think it also comes back to, I'm such a huge believer in setting the right expectations in sort of the awareness building on marketing side and the acquisition process on the sales side of be open with your flaws in the product. You know, don't shy away from that. Don't claim that you can do it all. In the sales process, be realistic about what onboarding will look like and what the customer will have to commit to. Being honest about the hard stuff or the bad news or the flaws I feel like engenders more trust than coming off as overconfident that everything is perfect and everything's going to be perfect all the time. So I think that's like another another layer there too that's interesting psychologically. Yeah, it's funny. I think Dave Gearhart says this all the time, but like it's kind of intuitive. But if you met your flaws up front, like people tend to trust you, just like you said, like met your flaws flaws up front, even in marketing, like. Avis did this in one of their ads like back in the day, but they they said they they told everybody they were second, like they were the second in the industry. But they then they said we're second, but what we do is we try harder than the competitors because we're always trying to strive to be first. And they basically said their flaw, like, yeah, we are second in industry. If you want to go with the second person, but this is the reason why we're second and how we can solve that. One thing I want to go into is actually there's two things I want to go into. One I want to talk about like how could like marketing and customer success be the same page on like marketing to customers because I think there is a there's a lot of times where I've seen like marketers spam customers and that ruins a lot of and causes trouble with the customer success team. So I want to know like what is the best way to have a relationship with like marketing to customers. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think like an easy way to like deploy customer marketing is some type of like email nurture stream over the course of the customer lifetime, right? And marketing writes all these emails and customers get these emails and they they never read it. And so I think the best collaboration with marketing and customer success are, we talked about this a little bit earlier on, but I think collaborating on events and community, because I believe that both of those things are like marketing and customer success both bring important, you know, components to the table and they're both important stakeholders in executing against those effectively. So I think collaborating on those to, you know, build a community for customers, to put on events for both customers and prospects. I also think collaborating on things like testimonials or case studies um, or any articles featuring customers um, is a really powerful like way to collaborate, to not only give marketing that access and experience to that customer, create an asset that can be leveraged and used, typically make a customer feel good and flattered to be part of something like that. Um, So I think those types of initiatives are really what will fuel what you hope to get from customer marketing, which is essentially retention and referrals. And then I think the other thing that's, that's interesting is one of the things that I've collaborated often on with the marketing team at the different sort of 
tech or SaaS companies I've been at is as the product continues to evolve and change and new features are released. Um, and it's, I guess it kind of would fall into like the product marketing category, if you will, but how can marketing help customer success communicate evolving product value to customers effectively? So whether that's giving them assets, whether it's giving them messaging, whether it's, you know, updating the website or the product experience, I think that's a really interesting and important collaboration because especially when you're thinking about a SaaS product that's continuously evolving and new releases and new features, it's a big lift to ensure that every customer knows when the product has changed and how they can benefit from that change or not. And so I think the best collaborations I've had with marketing or like a product marketer around that has been really collaborating on like, how should we work together to make that happen? And what are the assets or the messaging or, you know, sort of the tactics that we're going to use to improve product adoption of our customers? That's some good insight. One thing I want to dig into as well is like, how reliable is like NPS and what are some other better mm-hmm. metrics to look at to make sure like your customer success and is going well? Like what are like some key KPIs? Because I, I feel like people over rely on NPS a lot. Um, yeah, I don't like NPS. It's a vanity metric in my opinion. It's meant to, I think, be like a leading indicator for retention or loyalty. But honestly, like there, those numbers are all over the place. Like you can have a high NPS and have terrible churn (laughs) and, you know, really poor retention. And so I don't really like that metric. Really, I believe that the success of your customer success strategy is, I look at, I would look at your retention rate and your churn as like the, the primary metric that matters the most. That said, I do think that there is value in customer surveys and gathering data from them directly about their experience. I don't really like NPS. It really depends on the product and the experience. Like I like a metric called CSAT, which essentially evaluates their level of satisfaction with an either an individual that they're working directly with or a particular moment in time of their product experience. It's really tricky when you try and ask these types of quantitative survey questions especially when their experience is a combination of maybe the product, their interaction with the CSM, their interaction with the support team. Maybe in the case of Grubhub, then someone is actually bringing food and they're eating food. And if they don't like the food, maybe they're having a negative association with Grubhub as a result. So when you think about all of these different factors and then you get an NPS score, it's like, what are they measuring? (laughs) What was good? What was bad? And what was in our control? What was not in our control? So I don't know, a lot of those quantitative measurements, I feel like need to be taken with a little bit of a grain of salt. I don't think big conclusions should be derived from them. The one thing that I think is helpful is if you take something like CSAT, customer effort score is another interesting one, basically like asking questions around how how difficult is it for you to use the product. Those can be helpful if you ask them regularly and actually monitor the trend like one score in a point in time doesn't mean much in my opinion. If you see trends that are going in the right direction, that can be interesting. I'm actually, I always prefer like the qualitative information or feedback that you get in a survey or a conversation. I feel like that's the best sentiment of whether, you know, people are happy. I think the last thing that I'll say is when I look at retention or churn, I also try to only look at the 
primary customer segment that we believe is our ideal customer profile. And you want to segment out because most companies will sell to, to more customers than maybe they should. So when you are looking at retention and churn, I always encourage people to kind of create two cohorts of like, who are your customers that fall within your ICP and who are out of that? And what do those numbers look like? Because usually they're pretty different. I have a funny story about NPS that I think would even go <laughs> deeper into this is that I we had a turn internal one in one of the companies I worked at and I gave the company like a five and it wasn't because the question said, would you refer a friend to this company? And I said five because every time I refer a person, they get rejected like the first per and I refer good people. So I, I would never refer anybody to the company. Doesn't but the the whole thing, I didn't hate the company I actually liked there, but the question is literally asking me, would I refer it to a friend? And no, I wouldn't because the referral was got rejected every single time. So it was not that I hated working at the company. It was that I didn't like the I would honestly never refer anybody here because I keep getting rejected for doing that. Like so it's funny because it's like that question so broad. It's like, would you refer someone? Yeah, maybe not. Maybe they don't like referring people. And sometimes you give also like BS responses. Like sometimes like even with CSAT, I'm like, I don't want to get this person fired. So I'm going to give them like a good CSAT score. Like, yep. I'm sorry. Like that's how I am. And I know it doesn't give the company that honest of feedback, but I'm like, I know how it looks if they got like a two from me right now, even if they give it, if they're really terrible, I'll give them a one. They were like super rude, but that's what the the problem with like feedback too. I think like then surveys is like what someone's actually putting down is not always what they're actually thinking. Completely. And especially with the, you know, quantitative ones, like I love your NPS story. There's so many nuances to things and you can't, it's really difficult to distill a, you know, a summary of your experience, like in a number mm-hmm. <laughs> on a scale, you know, whatever that scale happens to be. And what's also ruined by it is that we inherently like from school, like have like a baseline that 70% is like passing. And that's the, like, like sometimes you just give them like seven because you're like, okay, they pass. Like, but like, I don't think like the MPS was like meant for like, doing that but like inherently when i go to an mts score i'm like okay 70 percent. okay i'll give them a passing grade like but it, that doesn't affect it that much like because there's that detractor and promoter and then neutral like if i gave them a six or a nine it would have like affected the score like very bad so it's like weird like how it does it too like but like that thought process of like having a seven in my head is like a passing grade has always been instilled in my head. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if others feel that way too. Last thing I want to leave you with is uh, just give you a moment to let people know how they can find you and anything you want to bring up. Uh, it's your, I want to give you a couple minutes to talk about some things that are going on in your life. Yeah, definitely. So um, as you had mentioned, actually, the only social media platform that I am on is LinkedIn. Um, I've never had any other accounts anywhere else. So that's where I focus my attention on, you know, posting some content. I try to, you know, post stuff, whether it's customer success or sales or marketing, I kind of touch on leadership or personal development themes. 
In November, I launched my new podcast, The Unwritten Playbook, um, which is on Apple and Spotify. So that's been really fun. Released my 10th episode yesterday, actually, which was a fun milestone, lining up my next batch of guests. And then, yeah, you can check out our company, Refine Labs, refinelabs.com. Been there almost six months now. And the reason I love our company is that we really were helping B2B companies just think about demand gen in a whole new way. And I think in my view, we are executing on the you know most innovative marketing strategies that are going to actually drive revenue that are customer-centric. And so it feels really good to be part of a company that is leading the way, I think, and influencing a necessary but really positive change in the B2B landscape. Cool. That's awesome. And yeah, I contest that Chris is putting out some great content and knows mar- do, talking about marketing strategies that are not old they're more <laughs> the the curve like the ahead of the curve so refine yeah. labs is definitely a place you should go to if you're looking to help with your demand gen well thank you so much for being on i think this is going to be super valuable i think there's so much importance to customer success and marketing being like pretty good friends and a company so and partners so i'm glad you can come on yeah, I completely agree. Um, really happy that you were excited to dive into customer success and and how it's connected to marketing. I agree with you. I think it's so important, and you know, I think it's a it's a great topic to keep talking more about and to keep bringing attention to. So appreciate you having me on the show. It was fun. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you.